Hello everybody and welcome to the Manchester is Red podcast brought to you by the Manchester Evening News. My name is Dan Murphy and joining me today is Mr Rich Faye. Rich, how's it going? Oh, very good, thank you very much. Mm-hmm. Thank you, thank you. Um, I liked the little rhyme there, I was a poet and I didn't even know those words rhymed. And also with us is Mr Tyrone Marshall. Ty, how's things? Yeah, very good. Daniel, very good. Looking forward to uh, to the next two weeks of international football. Oh, aren't we all? Aren't we all? Because, you know, as I said, we're in the midst of the international break now, even though it's felt even longer um, for us and for United fans, because United's last uh, piece of action before the break was back on uh, Tuesday for the Champions League. Elimination at the hands of Atletico Madrid. And now we won't have a game all the way until April 2nd, as you say, as the international uh, break is back underway. England have got a couple of friendlies on Saturday and the coming Tuesday. Um, be worth keeping an eye on uh, from a United's perspective with Harry Maguire and Jen Sancho involved and a few more players here and there in action. But while United were in action this weekend, fellas, um, there were still kind of some big ramifications for them in the fact that Arsenal and Tottenham both won their matches. Arsenal picking up a 1-0 win over Aston Villa and Spurs looking to hit a bit of a bit of a run of form, at, at least against kind of maybe lesser teams, um, breezed past uh, West Ham uh, 3-1 on Sunday. And lads, that means Arsenal are now clear in fourth place, four points, and still have a game in hand on United, whereas Tottenham are now overtaken. United have gone into fifth place, a point clear, uh, and they're on equal fixtures. Rich, we'll talk about run-ins and who's got better fixtures and whatnot in a minute, but this really isn't looking good for United going into the last nine, ten games of the season, whichever eight, eight in United's, nine in United's case, eight in other teams' cases. It's all over the place, as we've discussed at length. But yeah, it's really not looking good for United when Arsenal are winning all these games in hand they've been given. No, exactly. You sort of hit the nail on the head there as well, Dan, that you said, you know, every team's played different amount of matches. So there's always been a way of twisting it, depending on sort of what perspective you're from. You could say, well, United are doing well, considering they've you know, played games and most managers would probably say that they'd actually rather have points on the board because there's that dangerous presumption in football where if you see a team's got a game in hand, you presume, oh, that's three points. It, it never works like that. But now United don't have that excuse anymore and I've been one of these people who has a neutral setback and I've just thought, well, Arsenal and Tottenham will drop points soon enough. But they're slowly just going about their job so well. And the other thing is, I mean, Villa away, United managed to throw away a 2-0 lead there recently. And, you know, West Ham, they beat United at home in the League Cup. I know United did the, the league double over them, but they are impressive results as well from the other contenders. And you just wouldn't back United to beat anyone at this moment in time. And you see, like, even Everton on the horizon, you think, well, Everton, United have to beat Everton. As we infamously always say, don't we? It was, that podcast we did, was it last January where we said United versus Sheffield United? Sheffield United, United yeah. It was the easiest banker of the season and they still managed to lose that. So you really wouldn't back United in any of these games. But I do think there could be a bit of a change in the weeks ahead because I still sense that United have been sort of favourites for fourth place just because everyone has predicted Arsenal and Tottenham will fall off and everyone's like, well, United have to hit form again sometime. They've got such a talented squad. But it could almost work as a reversal, I think, that there is going to be even more pressure now on Arsenal and Tottenham. And what's worked so well for them both really in the last few years is they have gone about their achievements as sort of underdog teams. People started feeling sorry for them again and saying... Okay, maybe not United fans, but people are saying, oh, wouldn't it be nice if Arsenal got back in the Champions League or Arsenal are back again? You know, there's always been a bit of sympathy towards them and they've got a deal of the pressure now of actually bringing these results. Of course, they still have to play each other. There'll be drop points there. You know, a draw wouldn't surprise you by any means. And for United, it is the cliche, you've got to focus on yourself. And, you know, maybe there's going to be even more defiance now for United because 
I can't speak for the players myself, but I've always had this sense that, oh, United will come good. And maybe there's been a sense of that from United themselves of, well, we always do it. We always manage to do it in the end. Things always look like a crisis, but things always come good. But now that there's a real threat of United missing out on the top four, and it really does sort of, I'd say for the first time now, feel like an urgent sort of issue. I, this is the first time I've actually worried for United's top four hopes. Maybe that can in some way spring them into life. And again, this is a season United were meant to be playing in the Champions League to the last sort of last four, maybe into the final. And they were meant to be seriously challenged for the title. That's not going to happen. And I guess the only minor salvation would be if they did just show some character now to, to actually get this back on track. But I think this, as of today, is the first time I actually don't think United will finish in the top four this season. Mm. Yeah, definitely. I think those concerns are really well founded. You know, if I was a United fan or anyone or connected to United, I'd be looking maybe not just at the results themselves, but who kind of Arsenal and Spurs, the, who they're getting the results against. They may not be beating the top teams. I think Arsenal had a really good showing against City and lost, and Spurs obviously went and lost to United just um, the other week. But any team they should be beating they now are beaten and they're getting results. They're not slipping up results. You know, you'd think Arsenal last year going away to Villa, you could see a, a banana slip the Villa with Coutinho and attacking flair and stuff. You could see a slip up. Not now. They're grinding out the one they'll win even when the first choice goalkeeper's unavailable. Spurs, it's been a kind of rocky ride under Conte as you'd expect, but they're getting there now. They're kind of playing the Conte way as we've all come to expect and they're Again, apart from the United game, which they still scored two goals in, I think the two league games prior to that, and obviously before losing to Middlesbrough in the Cup, I think they won by 9-0 on aggregate against Leeds and potentially Everton, I want to say. Mm-hmm. And now they've stuck three past... Oh, there you go. There. And then they stuck three past um, West Ham, who, albeit were tired after a, kind of an emotional Thursday night game against Sevilla in the Europa League, but a really good side who are also only just now kind of slipping away from that top four conversation themselves. They're picking up results. And if you look at how both Arsenal and Tottenham are playing now, they've got an identity. You can look at Arsenal, you can see exactly how they're playing. Young attackers, Saka, um, Smith-Rowe, um, Lacazette, linchpinning them together, good dynamic midfield. You can point at Arsenal and you know how they're going to play. They've got an identity and they're getting results. You look at Spurs, three at the back, wing-backs, Kane, Kowalewski, Son, really a dangerous tagger free, Holberg in the middle. You know what you're going to get. I look at United, tie and with all the will in the world and all the work that Ranić has tried to do and improvements he's made with Sancho and Dallo and here and there and Fred kind of playing well a bit, I still don't look at them and know before a match how they're going to play, what they're going to do, what the starting lineup's going to be um, for definite. And I think there's that kind of lack of plan. I don't say, and I don't blame Ranić for this. This has been kind of, as we've talked about, uh, seeds well sown for a number of years now. But I'd, if I'm United, I'm really worried because Spurs and Arsenal look like they've kind of got the st- got themselves together now and you know what they're going to do, whereas United are still just floundering for me. I don't see how that form's going to change. No. I mean, I said after that City game a couple of weeks ago that it was done and I've seen nothing to change my mind. It, it is over. United will not finish fourth. I just don't see any way they can. Um, I mean, they're... To, to, to Stephen stay in the fight, they have to win their next three games against Leicester at home, Everton away and Norwich at home. Does anyone really think they're going to win all three? I mean, they should do, but they won't. We all know they won't because they don't. That's not what they do. And like you say, I mean, Arsenal in particular have failed to beat anyone above them all season, but have beaten virtually everyone below them. And they just looked... I mean, Tottenham are harder to judge. You mentioned there are some good results. And I thought they, in a way, they were unlucky to lose at Old Trafford. They played pretty well, but... 
West Ham was a gift yesterday, given West Ham played 120 minutes on Thursday and have got a small squad. Any Premier League team would have beaten West Ham yesterday um, just because of, of that issue. They were there for the taking. The Le- Leeds and Everton could not have made it any easier for Tottenham in the way they set up. They, you know, those games were 9-0, but they felt like a bit of a gift as well. It's been harder to sort of judge them. The game in between that, they lost to Middlesbrough. It feels like Conte's making some progress, but we also know that they're going to slip up at some point and then he's going to tell the players how dreadful they are again. You know, he's he's been unable to control his emotions at, at Tottenham and at the moment everything's looking good, but you don't get the impression it's really stable. I mean, I think Arsenal are going to finish. I think Arsenal will get fourth. Uh, and it just feels, the contrast between how things feel at United to how things feel at Arsenal is absolutely night and day. And part of that is because Arsenal are having a season above expectations, United below expectations. But there's a real unity there at Arsenal and between the fans and the team as well. I mean, the, the fun police were out in force after the celebrations at the end of the game on Saturday. But it just showed that the, there is a unity between the players and the team. And you could see it that Liverpool game, they lost 2-0 at home to Liverpool. But the fans stuck with them for all 90 minutes. The fans applauded them off at the end. They could appreciate what was happening at United at the moment. You've got fans waiting an hour after the final whistle to slag the players off. You've got fans being sarcastically cheered off the pitch. You know, there's the, the 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 feel around the two clubs could not be any more different. It feels like Arsenal have got momentum under Arteta. All those young players are buying into what he does. He's made some pretty ruthless decisions in the transfer market and some pretty, you know, not very astute business sense decisions in who they've let go on, on free transfers. You know, the likes of Willian, um, Kalasinic, Abamyang, Chambers... I think there's someone, another experienced player, who've all just been told, go, go on free transfers, just to sort of create room for those young players, not just to play, but also take ownership of it. And they have taken ownership of it. They've built around those young players. They're all buying into Arteta. The fans are buying into it. And it just feels like they're going in the right direction. And they were the better team at Villa. They deserved to win. It was a hard-fought win, not the kind of performance you thought Arsenal were capable of six months ago. But it feels like they've got a hell of a lot of momentum and it just feels like they're in a far, far better place than United are. And it's hard to see how United can can rescue it now. Like I say, they'd need to win those three games coming up because after that, they've got Liverpool away and Arsenal away in that week. Um, you know, they'd have to win those three and then probably win at Arsenal, at least draw at Arsenal. But I just can't even see them winning those three, to be honest. I've just got no faith that they're going to do it. It feels like the season's over for them. It feels like the players just want the season to end. It feels like Arsenal's players and maybe even Tottenham's don't want the season to end. And it just, you know, it feels like it would take such a turnaround now for, for that to change and, and United to get top four. And I just can't see where it comes from. Yeah, I, I'm absolutely in agreement. I think, you know, what you said there, Spurs, um, Conte, yeah, it's been a bit up and down and you could see kind of Spurs slip in at any moment just because it's quite temperamental. But I think, you know, Conte came in, what, two weeks, three weeks before Ranić, and well, there was all the discussion about maybe United should have gone for Conte then. And it's pretty clear that Conte is still an elite level coach who has made a big impact and has improved Spurs from what they were under um, Espirito Santo. So I think that just shows, you know, kind of another mistake United made there in not going for an elite level manager when he was available, like they have done with Poch in the past, like they did with Tuchel in the past. And, you know, it's a recurring problem. With Arsenal, Rich, I think... Despite it probably costing United this season, I don't think you can, United can look to Arsenal as mm. perhaps a blueprint and a guiding light to show that 
there is a way back. Arsenal have been in the doldrums longer than United have been. They've been through there. It's been a long, long time. They've still not won the Premier League and they're still not close to winning the Premier League. And I haven't won it since 2004, I believe it was. But they know for the first time in a long, long time heading in the right, right, right direction. It seems like there's positivity. It might take that long for United, you know, coming up to 20 years. But I think that Arteta and Arsenal are kind of a good thing for United to look at to show that there is a way to do it. It can be done. And the way to do it is with the young players, of which United do have a lot of, as we'll talk on later as well. Yeah, absolutely. I think that's a danger, really, for United heading into the summer, is that there's going to be more short-termism and fans are going to demand an immediate title challenge next year. And the truth of the matter is that United can go and make the same mistakes again. They can go spend big, get someone who can try and bring them the short-term success, but they're not going to get it while Guardiola and Klopp have this monopoly on the Premier League because it's. I know it's easy to say, well, they're United's two biggest rivals, so it's amplified or whatever, but these are two of the greatest ever coaches with two of the greatest ever sides in football, full stop. Like... I know you might be from United Angle saying, well, no, they're not. They get too much attention or whatever. But like, it's just facts. And they are two of the greatest ever teams. So the goal for United almost isn't to challenge for the Premier League, which sounds like something Ed Woodward would say, but it's just to become best of the rest almost because they're not that at the moment. They've they've lost their identity as the third best teams, the, the best of the other guys. And you've got the uncertainty at Chelsea. But like you said, you've now got Arsenal, maybe even Tottenham who are ahead of United. It's just about... they've. Before they can run, they've got to be able to war. And they've got to be able to become just that team who everyone says, well, they're the best. If there's one team who's going to break into the top two, it's going to be them. I mean, we used to always talk about, during Fergie's reign, didn't we? Who could break into the top four? It used to be Everton and Arsenal. used to say, who's going to be the one to upset the sort of apple cart? Now it's a case of just who can become as good as one of the elite teams in the Premier League. Because there's such a gulf between everyone else. You know, it's almost two completely different leagues. And Liverpool and Chelsea, uh, sorry, Liverpool and City are just almost uncatchable for United in, in terms of a sort of one, two-year project. So you're right. They've got to look further beyond that. And it's going to be the Arsenal sort of blueprint where United can go and, you know, it's got to take, I'd say, three, four years before they maybe are going to be properly, properly an elite team again. The thing for United, which is different to Arsenal, is they're starting from a much higher ceiling. Their squad is, they've got lots of young players who are already very established in the team. They've got some really good players. Their, their team and squad probably don't need as much extensive work as as some people say, because whenever a team loses matches, you, you can just go on social media and say, you know, I need to buy this player, that player, you know, and say there's a massive overhaul needed. It's not a massive overhaul, I don't think, in terms of the playing squad. Yes, they still need to spend money, but just saying that money's got to solve all the problems isn't the answer. They need some of this, like you said, long-term project, a clear vision. And it's a clear vision that comes from the top because these other teams and clubs, the reason they're successful is because the whole club is moving in the same way with the same targets. That's not the way United do it. United are just looking for these short-term goals to hit targets, keep the lucrative Champions League part, try and grow on TikTok. That's a good season, isn't it? You don't be challenging for trophies. But it just needs to stem from the top. If they want to become one of the top teams in, in the world again and they market themselves as the best team in the world, you know, the greatest supported team in the world, you don't finish sixth in the Premier League and have another trophy this season and clutch at straws. They've got to just have this major overhaul from top to bottom. And until that happens, they're never going to challenge for the league title because the only way United can properly challenge for the title is City and Liverpool both imploding and then them going on a freak run themselves. There's no sort of way about it. There's no steps to be taken. They're just hoping. And that's been United's problem for the last few years. All their success has been freak runs of results or some individual brilliance to bail them out when they've not been performing very well. And 
They just need, they talk about this cultural reset all the time, but it's not just the playing squad, it's the whole club that needs mm. that. And like you said, Dan, they can't go in search of these short-term fixes again this summer. No, you took, you took the words in the mouth there. I think I say the squad itself, while it's, it's probably going to get gutted with um, at least five players going on freeze and then your likes of Marshalls and potentially Van der Beeks and the like wanting to leave you know, for the greener pastures and natural playing time. Um, but it isn't a complete overhaul of the squad, as you say, that needs doing. It's more of an overhaul of attitude and getting, like Arsenal have managed to do this season, getting that toxicity out of the area. And I think the best way to do that isn't, isn't doesn't necessarily have to be trophies. As long as fans can see progress and um, not just investment in money, but I think investment in kind of time and investment in passion and ideas and, and clear progress can be seen to be made. And, you know, that'll obviously all delve down to who the hire is and the manager and how results and maybe even football style kind of delve from there. I think that's the biggest kind of issue they've got. But what United will need to look at and be ready for is that, as you say, there's no getting past Klopp and uh, Guardiola. But in sometime soon, in the next two to three years, they are going to go and they are going to have this Ferguson-like impact on their clubs when they leave. And it's going to be very, very hard for both of them to replace their managers because not only are they so... You know, just amazing what they do. They are like Ferguson, kind of the bot that the culture of kind of personality sort of thing, the cult of personality sort of thing. They run the club. Their ideas are so well tuned, so ingrained that anyone coming in, it's going to take a while to kind of get out of those ideas. And do you get someone else who prolongs the ideas? It's a massive decision. It's a, and as United found out, it's a very hard one, and it can fail quite easily. And when that happens, the other clubs are going to have to be on hand and ready to pounce. And if United aren't ready in those two years to be ready to try to straight the opportunity, it'd be another massive one missed. And again, it might be some time before they're at a position to be challenging for any trophies. But, you know, Ty, as we said, the running now before we get, when we get back to the international break is intense. United, I do think, you know, two of the bottom three in Norwich and Everton and then Leicester who have been a bogey team, but not, not as so much at home. Three, you know, kind of good fixtures coming in. But then as you say, the run gets hard. You've got Liverpool, Arsenal, uh, Brentford, Brighton, Chelsea and Palace as a last six games. Compared to the runs of um, Spurs and Arsenal, it's quite tough. Spurs have got Newcastle, who are on a bit of a kind of resurgence, but still near the bottom. Villa, Brighton, Brentford, Leicester, Liverpool themselves, Burnley and Norwich as the last two games. But um, as we'll talk about, the North London derby still has to be rescheduled, which may well be a, a shootout for who gets that Champions League place. And Arsenal themselves come back. They've got Palace, Brighton, Southampton, Chelsea, United, of course, um, West Ham, Leeds, Newcastle and Everton. So Spurs, you'd look, look there, they've got the more, probably the more comfortable run, playing a lot more of the bottom teams, especially in the last two games. United and Arsenal, pretty tough. So I, do kind of, I know you said you don't see United going, but does the running make it that, you know, even harder? Yeah, I, I mean, I think the running makes it even harder. And like I say, just that, that sense that it feels like the season's, you know, already over. The mood is so dour that it's hard to see how they can rescue it. I mean, I said it already, but I think Arsenal will get it. Well, I think three points ahead of Spurs they'd be now with the game in hand. That game in hand is at, at Tottenham. Or, well, no, I think the game in hand against Chelsea and they've still got to play Tottenham. Um, yeah. So they're, you know, they're tough fixtures, but it just feels like the momentum's with them. And it's just, you know, it's, I just can't, it's just hard to see how United can do enough to, to stay in it. Like I say, they'd need to win three in a row and, not got the stats in front of me, but they might have won three in a row once or twice all season. They've just not had the consistency. They've not had the new manager bounce under Ranić at all. 
They won nine of 20 before he was appointed. They've won nine of 20 after he was appointed. There's been no great uptick in results. Maybe performances have improved a little bit, but, you know, beyond beyond that, you know, you're talking very marginally. Um, so it, it does need to, you know, it, it's going to be a big issue this summer, not having Champions League football, but they've proven in the past they can attract they can attract Champions League players still without it. But there's also a feeling that, you know, at some point they're just not, the, the players they're trying to sign now are going to be more attracted by Champions League football than playing for Manchester United because they still claim to be the biggest club in the world and all their advertising and pamphlets is the biggest club in the world. When you're constantly missing out on the Champions League every couple of seasons, it's very hard to keep that narrative up. And players they're targeting under 25 will have very little memory of United being successful on the pitch now. And, you know, they're, they're not going to be attracted by thinking, God, yeah, they were the great team in the 90s, weren't they? I'm going to go and play there. It's just, it's unrealistic to think it's going to happen. And yes, for some players, you know, it, the notion will be attractive. We know the squad that does bring a title back will be heroes forever. But if, you, if you're after a player, I mean, you know, obviously Haaland's not going to come to United, but if you were looking at someone like Haaland, United won't get him if City and Real Madrid are in for him because they're not in the Champions League. So they can't attract that, that level of player. They can still get good players, but they won't be able to attract that level of players. But they need to start spending money wisely I mean you look at I was talking to my father-in-law who's United fan actually last night about you look at the teams who spent the most money over the last sort of well probably the nine years now since since Fergie's left and you're talking comfortably the biggest spenders City, United, Chelsea, Liverpool will be up there all three of th- apart from United those three in the Champions League semi-final uh, Champions League quarter-finals probably two at least will get to the semis maybe three two of them played in the final last year all three in the FA Cup semi-finals. All three are in the top of the Premier League. Two of them played in the League Cup final. They've spent money wisely and appointed elite managers. United have spent that money and have got absolutely nothing to show for it, apart from a League Cup and a Europa League. And they're not in the top four again. They haven't got an elite manager. They need another rebuild. They have just squandered that money. They've set fire to a billion pound, basically. And they're still miles behind those top three. So they do need to start getting decisions right. And I know we're going to come on to it, but that managerial decision this summer is is absolutely massive and you know Rich is right we're talking about a rebuild it's not a rebuild in the scale it was two three years ago there are a lot of very good players at that football club there are some problem positions that need improving but I think four or five very good signings and a a, a manager and also a manager who can bring a sense of unity back to the club and, and togetherness you know it feels like everyone that works at that club is just constantly on the back foot um, mm. You know, there's this narrative taking hold now that they're basically useless and every decision they make is useless. And that's difficult for the people that work there. You know, Richard Arnold's, Richard Arnold's useless because he worked under Woodward and he's definitely said some stupid things in his past. But as soon as he's promoted, the narrative on social media is another idiot to work at United. Same with John Murta, same with Daryl Fletcher. Whoever the manager comes in will be flavour of the month if things start to go wrong. Another idiot. You know, there's mm. just this narrative that they're on the back foot and you kind of see what Arteta's done at Arsenal and Xavi at Barcelona to, to a degree. And you kind of need that to get some forward momentum going again. And that's, you know, they're, they're badly lacking that. But I don't mm. I don't think it's a massive rebuild that's needed. I think four or five players and a good manager could quickly get the ball rolling again. But it does mm. need, it needs the mood shifting as much as anything as well. Mm. I just think there's so many 
people in the like you just named three people there. What do any of them actually do? I know Fletcher stands on the box and gets booked, which must be the first time a football mm. director's ever been booked during a game. You know, Ranjit's apparently gonna well, I suppose they're gonna move upstairs in the summer. How much power will he have? They have all these kind of fellas in roles and what do any of them actually do in a football sense? It really feels like too many cooks kind of spoiling the broth at times and maybe they need again another manager who can just come in and boss everything and I know it doesn't quite work like that way anymore but there needs to be a much more clear hierarchy structure I think if you look at City you know what Suriano does you know what uh, Tiziki does you know what Guardiola does and I've definitely just butchered how do you say Tiziki because that's like a Greek yogurt sauce okay. I apologise <laughs> so I apologise for that but um, you know <laughs> at City you know where, who the people are you know what they do and you know that, as it's been well documented, that structure was put in place to basically mimic Barcelona and make it the perfect place possible for Guardiola to go and thrive, which has done you know foresight and planning. Who far works a treat, and I, you know you mentioned there about the signings tie. I think I say no chance of getting Haaland, but if, if they can get Rice, I think that'll still show they can compete on that level. But I think if they miss out on him, which they may well do, um, if they're not in the Champions League, obviously Chelsea were meant to be the main contenders. And obviously, the, their um, ability to spend any money, let alone big money, is in, uh, uncertain at the minute following sanctions on Roman Bramovich. But you wouldn't surprise at all. Like, why would City or Liverpool or Bayern or anyone not go in for Rice if they had the money? Because he's on the cusp of being an elite player if he's not already. So, if United can get in, I think that'd be a great sign. If not, then it may well be worrying. And again, all this, Rich, does kind of defend on who they get in as manager. And it's been an interesting week for. Those leading contenders, um, Pochettino and Ten Hag, you know, PSG followed up um, an astounding loss to Real Madrid in the Champions League after being 2 0 up against a team who then got went on to got battered by Barcelona 4 0 this weekend. They lost 3 0 to Monaco um, in Liga on uh, Sunday. Yeah. Um, and even though they're still about 12 points clear at the top, it was quite the, quite the defeat. But con- uh, contrastly, Ajax 2 1 going into the final minutes against Feyenoord in a match that would have opened the door for PSV to take over them in the Eredivisie title race. They came back in the last minute to win 3-2. So, at the minute, it all seems like the, the, the wind is blowing in kind of Ten Hag's direction, um, even though Ajax themselves went out of the Champions League at the same time as well. So, what are your kind of current thoughts on how both are doing and how the manager race is kind of unfolding as it as it stands? Like you said there, Dan, I think it is very much just which camp you sit in yourself because for every positive you can think of maybe a negative against each candidate at the moment. And for me, it really is just much of a muchness. It's who you prefer and what you sort of value from your manager. I mean, Pochettino at least has Premier League experience. Ten Hag's exit from the Champions League was really worrying against that that Benfica team. I know that every manager loses matches. Every manager gets knocked out of Champions League. I mean, you look at one of the last Champions League groups that Sir Alex got knocked out of the one that had Basel and to have Otelel Galati in it. I can't quite remember the other teams. Like, there's almost this narrative. Benfica, no? think, and Benfica, yeah, no, exactly. So you can always sometimes look back with sort of rose-tinted glasses and think that every great manager has always been amazing and never had failures themselves. And you know, the, the fact of the matter is that even if United get a good manager this, this summer, they could still be out of the League Cup in the third round next year. And you know, that doesn't mean it's going to be a, a season of failure or whatsoever. So it really is a difficult one. Again, it just comes full circle in terms of that long-term vision. And it's what do United actually want? Because, I, like I said, 
it's so hard to see the direction United actually want to go and they can use buzzwords and say this is what we want to do I mean every team wants to be winning the Premier League title but what, where's the evidence what's the sort of system in play to make that happen Ranić's role even that's really uncertain going forward and even he seems quite unsure of what his role's going to be going forward I mean myself and Ty did that press conference the first one back in person he was asked a lot about what do you write your chances of getting the job permanently at the end of the season? And he's saying, well, we've not spoken about that. I don't know what's going on. And Ranić seems as almost out of the loop as everyone else who's watching on. It just There's no clarity whatsoever. And if there isn't this clarity in this plan, it's so hard to know who the right choice to be manager is. And then because you don't know who the manager is, it's really hard to know which players to identify. And it all just comes together in this. It's all, everyone's interconnected, but there just seems to be some really key elements missing from United. And I guess, like we said, I just don't know what sort of football they want to play next season and what they're sort of valuing. I know it'll be buzzwords of using the academy, playing fast attacking football, but they're a counter attacking side who still rely on individual brilliance. It's really interesting to see. But as you said, in, in terms of this weekend, Ten Hag, I mean, that's the sort of Fergie-esque comeback, isn't it? But again, the caveat is the fact that it's in the Eredivisie and if you look at the last sort of players that United have signed from from Dutch football, they've not done it and if you look at sort of Dutch football's track record in the Premier League, it's always been really hard for them to to adapt. Um, managerial is maybe a bit different and, you know, Ten Hag has done great things in the Champions League. You know, we can't get us wrong and I know he's built two really good teams and he's rebuilt after selling key players as well which you know United might have to do this summer because if Pogba goes, that's another rebuild job and you know, Ten Hag's proven he can do that. Pochettino, though, it's just it's so hard because PSG is such a unique club because you do win the league at a canter and you, you check the scores every weekend and you'd think PSG haven't won a game all season because I swear every time I go on Twitter, PSG have lost again. But then you check the table and they're 20 points clear. It's just really, really odd. And then that also plays into the Champions League because there's complacency that comes into hand because these players aren't being tested and it's just a glorified MLS, really. You know, it's like the Harlem Globetrotters. They just play sort of exhibition games and then when they play against a side who's who's elite, they seem to just lose the lose that. And I know that, was it when Leon knocked City out of the Champions League Mbappe's tweet and saying, what's the Farmers League now? And they, you know, there's like sort of unity in French football that it is better than it actually is. But even if Pochettino had won the league and was... The achievements in France are so hard to gauge anyway. It's really hard to tell just how, how well someone is actually doing there. But I do think that, you know, it does seem like it's going to be between those two because Luis Enrique is committed with you know, the World Cup and you see other names like Lopetegui and Ancelotti came up, didn't they? But I, I still, I don't have a clear answer. You know, Ten Hag seems to be the preferable candidate at the moment. There's a low compensation fee. And I think in terms of a long-term project, he probably does tick a lot of the boxes for United. But the truth of the matter is there is no surefire answer. There's going to be an element of risk with whoever. And again, if United don't change the structure, they're going to carry on going around in circles anyway. And they'll be in the same mess in two, three years' time. It, it, it all stems from hierarchical change above them. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Ty, um, which way are you leaning at the minute after the weekend? To be honest, I don't really have a strong view on either. Um, I think Ten Hag is probably the more exciting, which I suppose is, is good for us and would be the more the more interesting candidate. But I think the fact he's more interesting and exciting is because we know less about him, which makes him more of a risk. Um, but I think they both they both come with risk. They're both a gamble. And all of this stems from the fact that in the four previous appointments, United have never appointed the best manager out there. This year, they probably are going to because it is between those two and they are the best available. But 
they've missed opportunities with other managers. And it, I don't know, I just find that neither of them is and look at neither of them and think, yeah, they're they're pretty much a certainty to bring success back. I think there's a risk with both. Pochettino was, you know, it always felt like a bit of a free hit for him at PSG because he never felt a natural fit for that squad. But the way it's ending is a bit of a concern. They're falling apart in the league. I mean, Pochettino's got more sport inside the United dressing room than the PSG dressing room at the moment, I think. Um, and, you know, he's, he's admired by players. Ten Hag seems to be the preferred choice. Like I say, he, he, he's, he's exciting. His team's played good football. But, you know, he, he's, not, he's not been phenomenal at Ajax. It's not been an unqualified success. Um, you know, the pandemic season, they were level on points with AZ Alkmaar, I think it was, when it finished. They're two points ahead of PSV this year. And as we were saying the other day, I bet neither of you can tell me who the PSV Eindhoven manager is. And they're only two points behind Ajax. So you got me there. Uh, yeah. And I, I mean, Ajax lost to go ahead Eagles the other week. Mm-hmm. And that Champions League exit, like Rich says, is a concern. And I was talking about the manager on Twitter yesterday, purely on a Sunday shift, basically just having a wind-up, really, when Pochettino lost and then Ajax went 1-0 mm-hmm. down. And I bet that was a reasonable chat, wasn't it? Yeah, it was all, all very constructive discussion that followed from that. Um, I want to put Bren- Brendan, he's still there. Um, but yeah, someone replied, and Rich is right, Ten Hag is, Ten Hag is the, certainly the social media fan's choice. And I think that stems from the fact that he's the most exciting and interesting choice. But one of the replies was that Pochettino was a serial bottler. But, I mean, I've never understood how a manager can be a bottler, really, given it's the 11 players on the pitch that are playing. I mean, you know, unless the manager's just driving the team boss on the stadium and not even turning up, I don't understand how they can have that much of an impact to be a bottler. But also, I mean, Ajax had the easier Champions League last 16 tie and lost. So that doesn't really fit that narrative. And, you know, that that 2018-19 team that went to the semis was phenomenal. There's some brilliant young players that Ten Hag brought through. They, I mean, they were brilliant in the Champions League group stage this year, but they haven't run away with it in Holland. They have lost games they clearly should have won, such as that one to go ahead Eagles. They should have beaten Benfica. And I don't know. I mean, if, you, if you're appointing a manager this summer, and it's got to be this summer, then, and we're ruling Tuchel out, then I think those two are the best candidates. But I don't know. I couldn't, I really couldn't nail my colours to the mast on who would be the best, to be honest, because I think there's, slight risk with both. I think Ten Hag is the more interesting and exciting, but that's partly because he's more unknown. And, you know, he he has done a good job with Ajax. There's no denying that. But I don't think he's done a job where you'd look at it and say, you know, he's not run away with a title four or five years in a row. They're, they're locked in a battle with PSV Eindhoven this year. And it it's, feels like a relatively ordinary PSV Eindhoven team, purely because they're not exactly pulling up any trees in Europe. So, so yeah, um, that's not shedding light on it, but mm-hmm. I think I'd probably just about lean to Ten Hag. <laughs> but that- it doesn't feel like either are indisputably mm-hmm. certainties to, to to be successful. I do think Ten Hag's into. I would say, like with the Dutch kind of title race, he, I think the whole um in and obviously Ajax is the biggest club and have the most money, but I do think the Dutch league is quite a bit more competitive than we might think. It's, I don't think it's like like France where PSG are just the clear winners. I think Ten Hag brought them their first league title in at least three seasons, I want to say. It might even be a bit more. Sorsha I think did the only... same at Moldo, didn't he? Mm, fair point. Fair <laughs> point. Listen, I wasn't even going to stick up for Ten Hag. I was going to go the other way. I was going to say, like, to me, if Pochettino is available, they should get him. I mean, yeah, it might not be going right at PSG, but 
does it go right for anyone at PSG? And you won't need to look at Tuchel himself, who yeah. he left PSG halfway through last season, took Chelsea to the Champions League, and he's doing well now. With I know they had a bit of a, a bit of a dip um, in the Premier League, and obviously aren't going to compete for the title like we perhaps thought they would have done before the season started. But they're still very much in with a shout of winning the Champions League again, um, despite all the difficulties that they've um, they're they've well they've brought upon themselves really um due to their owner but um it shows that PSG isn't a real judge for any manager I know too good is slightly better by getting them to the Champions League final but I don't think the reaction and um, kind of any manager's relationship with the club or the players or the fans at PSG is kind of testament to how they would be anywhere else because as Rich said such a minefield that place with three of the most you know, just full of big egos, players who you know the best attackers in the world who want to only attack, and that's not how Pochettino plays his football. You know, United squandered the opportunity to get him 2019 three years ago. If they do so again, in favour of perhaps a more exciting or um, intriguing option, I, I I'd, I'd imagine it'll go the same way because it feels like it's just going off vibes again rather than proof. And Pochettino has proved it, even and. People, he you know, he did battle stuff at Tottenham. Better, fair enough. That match against Chelsea, which won less the league, was an absolute um, embarrassment. Really, how his players' heads fell off, and you know he was the manager then, and he had to take responsibility for that. But he got Spurs win. Not a lot of good before him. Um, they were in absolute turmoil under Sherwood. Um, he came to Southampton, got them to where they are today, where an absolute established Premier League club. And got Tottenham Champions League regular football, playing really good football, and got them into a place where, uh, however much money, millions, billions, even they invested in that stadium, was a worthwhile investment because Tottenham were approaching being an elite club. And I, I'd imagine if you asked Daniel Levy now, he'd still regret sacking Pochettino to this day. And, and if he doesn't go to United, it wouldn't surprise me at all if Tottenham is where he ends up going back to when um, Conte's implosion of, uh, inevitably comes down the line. So. For me, Pacino still has to be the one they go for um, if he is available. But any rebuild, as we've said, Rich, will, you'd like to think, rely on you. It'll definitely be um, promoted in any press release of a manager coming through. But one player who you can't imagine will be too far away from getting an opportunity in the first team is Alejandro Ganacho, um, the winger um, of Spanish and Argentine descent. I believe he's just going to the Argentina squad for this current um, international break as they try and snap him up before Spain do. He's been on real form recently and a big reason why United are back in the final of the FA Youth Cup for the first time in a decade, I believe. Yeah, 11 years and Garnacho has five goals in five games at that level and he looks like the the player who, you know, you maybe say is maybe the next player to make his debut. I'd probably say it's between him and Alvaro Fernandez. They've both been really good this season, but Garnacho is really come out of nowhere almost. He was he was promising, he was he was good, but the amount of sort of young attacking talent United have, he he never really caught the eye so much. But in the last sort of six months or so, he's really skyrocketed. And, you know, it speaks so much now that Scaloni's trying to get him capped for, for Argentina at the age of 17 before he's even made his United debut. It's absolutely surreal. The fact that, you know, this is a player who by the end of the season could have trained with Messi and Ronaldo, could be a full Argentina international. I mean, like I said, there's still... It's interesting that Argentina call up because... Is, I think it's until you've played three full internationals, you can still switch allegiance anyway. So the fact he's in the Argentina squad doesn't mean that that's him nailed down, you know, permanently now for Argentina by any means. I think the plan is he's going to train with Javier Mascherano, who's under 20 side mainly this week, and then have some sessions with the 
full senior side as well. And they've already qualified for the World Cup. So these two qualifiers, they've got basically kind of dead rubbers just to decide where they finish in the table. So, you know, there's going to be chances for sort of teenagers to, to get involvement. Garnacho is one of seven uncapped teenagers who's in the squad, though. So it's not just him that Argentina are looking to try sort of... Uh, Nailed down, as we said, and you know, like I said, dual nationality, Spanish born, qualifies for his mother. He's really is exciting player, and I think he is one that gives United fans a lot of excitement as well because United's problems at first team level are well documented, but at academy level, it's a breath of fresh air, really. Like we said, it might be a trophyless season, but they could finish the, the campaign with the FA Youth Cup, which they've not won since Pogba, Lingard, and Ravel Morrison back in 2011. And Garnacho will be a, a key component of that. And he is someone who's really exciting. And again, he's testament to almost the the bizarre nature of United that at first team level, there's so many questions about recruitment. But at youth team level, it's unrivaled. They're arguably still the best team in world football for signing young players at you know, these youth levels. The fact they've got Gerardo, Alvarez and Garnacho from, from the three big Spanish clubs. You've had Hugo come in recent years from... You know, you got McNeil as well, who's come from Man City. There's Ethan Ennis has joined from Liverpool. You've got mm-hmm. Toby Collier's just joined from Brighton. Yep. There's so much excitement, really. Harrison Parker, they've signed from Arsenal as well. United are still just the team who is setting the standards at youth level, but it's just not sort of reflecting it at first team level. So maybe there's a lesson they could learn, you know, from, from that themselves. But like you said, Dan, no matter what happens in terms of the next permanent manager, United themselves will be keen to emphasize that look. If you're coming to United, we know it's a long-term project. You've got to have a track record of bringing through youngsters as well, which again is something which is working, I think, like you said there, in Pochettino's favour because he did so at, at Tottenham. And it's such a big part of United's history. And it's one of the few bits of nostalgia that they are right to indulge in all the time because it is a phenomenal record and long may it continue, really. Absolutely. I'd say one player that's really impressed me in the games I have managed to catch in the youth cup run is um, midfielder Kobe Mainu. He looks Really exciting, really dynamic. Gets up the pitch really well. I think he um and they had an under 18s game between Liverpool recently, a five five, which was quite the match. Ethan Ennis there, as you mentioned, scoring twice. I think McNeil did as well, but he set up the equaliser in the last minute, and he looks a really good player. But you know, getting to the midfield is um there's quite a cute tie, and one player you'd like to think would be hoping to be at the front of it come the summer is James Garner. Um, he's had another great loan spell at Nottingham Forest this season, and he got to kind of. Plies trade against Liverpool on Sunday and against the midfield of Fabinho, Naby Keita, Alex Oxley Chamberlain. Um, he won the man of the match, I believe, from some quarters. I think Nottingham Forest, his own club, gave him the man of the match. I think ITV may have given it to the centre back, Joe Worrell. But Garner, he's yeah, he's he's looking really good. And at one point, he, he split Liverpool's defence in half of a pass. And if the forward had have maybe gone for a shot instead of Dan trying to buy a penalty, he might have had an assist to his name as well. Yeah, it was a phenomenal pass that as well because it just it did not look on. You know, watching it on telly, you you couldn't really see the you could see the angle, but it didn't look to be anything on. It was it was a hell of a pass, and it has been a, a brilliant loan move for him. I think he's going to have been there eighteen months now and started last season at Watford and couldn't get a game. But it, Forrest has been great for him. It's gone up another gear since Steve Cooper arrived. I mean that you know, you look at a player's career and sliding doors moments and, and Cooper arriving at Forest could be just that for, for Garner because I think obviously he was appointed November maybe, November, October, something like that. But um Forest were were bottom of the league when Cooper arrived. They're they're pushing for the playoffs now. They've done absolutely brilliantly. Garner's been a key part of that. Obviously he was um 
in Cooper's England under-17 team. I think he was captain for a while, so they know each other really well. And, yeah, he's had a phenomenal loan spell. I did Forrest press conference on, on Friday to do a bit of a piece on, on Garner. They wouldn't put him up, but spoke to Jack, Jack Colback about him, who obviously knows what it takes to play in, in midfield in the Premier League. And he basically said he was ready now to, to play in the Premier League. And there's certainly no reason he can't be in the United squad next year, especially when it feels like they need midfielders. He might not be starting every week, but you can see him getting cup games and maybe 10 Premier League appearances, even if they're some off the bench and feels like he's ready to to, to do it. And his his attacking game, I think we've seen with his, his set-piece delivery is brilliant. That pass yesterday was was phenomenal. But Colback said you don't see his, the defensive side of his game, but he covers a hell of a lot of ground. He reads the game really well. So, yeah, I think he should be in United squad next year. And this has been a real sort of kickstart of a low move for him, especially since since Cooper came in and he's thrived in these FA Cup games as well. I think it says a lot about a player that, you know, Forrest have been on terrestrial TV three times in three massive FA Cup games and he's been brilliant in all of them. And Colback was saying that when they drew Arsenal in the third, third round of the play, Arsenal, I think it was, That's they had a couple of league games beforehand and um, Garner was just saying to saying to the lads and to Colback, we've got Arsenal, we've got Arsenal in a couple of weeks. And like, we need to focus on the league games. And he was like, yeah, but we've got Arsenal coming up. And was just buzzing about it, but did play well in the league games and then raised his game again in these cup games. So, you know, it shows he's got that big game mentality. And I think he's he's earned the chance to be part of pre-season at United at the very least. And I think he should certainly be kept around and, and in that squad and, and get some minutes next season. Absolutely. Well, we'll certainly be following Garner's uh, progress with a keen eye. But, um, dear listeners, that brings today's episode of the Manchester is Red podcast to a close. Obviously, there's no United fixtures next week or anything to preview. So maybe we'll come back next week and divulge um, England's performances and any United interest elsewhere. So please keep your ears peeled for that. And of course, um, keep it locked on ManchesterEveningNews.co.uk for all the latest United news. You can get us on Twitter at ManUnitedMEN and Facebook at Manchester Evening News forward slash Manchester United. So thank you again very much for listening and we'll be back next week for the latest uh, United talk. And until then, we'll see you later. Ta-ra. 